Join me right now, back on the show, is Bellator welterweight title contender, John Fitch. What's going on, John? What's up, man? Hey, Doug. Good, good, man. Uh, let's kick it off right away. You're in the uh, welterweight Grand Prix. Let's talk about the brackets. You know, all the other uh, first-round fights have already happened. Douglas Lima submits Andre Koreshkov. What did you think mm -hmm. about that performance? What did you think about the game plan that he implemented on uh, I thought he was, uh, he was pretty outstanding. Instead of uh, getting to a stand-up war, especially being in the tournament, you know, he took him down, uh, used his grappling abilities, and submitted him. That's pretty great. I was, I was pretty surprised. What was, about uh, MVP? Good, good MVP? Uh, yeah, I know. He... he uh, if he's not being pressed, he doesn't he doesn't do any press. So like the first round, they're just kind of standing there looking at each other. <clears throat> um, but yeah, so he's definitely got some holes in his game, some things to exploit. He's still extremely explosive, powerful. So you know he's always got a puncher's chance or a or flying knees chance. Did Daly kind of expose him a little bit? You know, in in uh, some aspects of his game. And Daly's not even a, a grappler. But he grappled. Uh, no, yeah, but he was able to secure takedowns. And he got tired, I think, towards the end and, and lost some positions. But, um, yeah, he, he definitely showed that his superior wrestler could definitely uh, give, uh, give MVP a lot of problems. So do you see Lima kind of running through MVP? Do you see a huge advantage for Lima on, in that fight? I think, yeah, I think, uh, you know, Lima's got a clear path for victory. I think he's... He's uh, got the ability to put him away quickly, but you, you still have somebody who's got an awkward style and uh, powerful strikes that come from strange angles. Yeah, I think that's a fun matchup, though, because of that stand-up aspect. Mm -hmm. It'll be interesting to see how uh, Lima deals with it, but I think he's experienced enough and well-rounded enough to, to handle it. And the shocker of the tournament is, I believe, is that Neiman Marcus submitting Ed Ruth. Everybody thought Ed Ruth... Was gonna beat uh, Gracie. Or, why did I say Lehman Marcus? Neiman Gracie. Um, yeah. I thought everybody thought you know he was gonna beat uh, Gracie. You know, take him down and you know punch a hole in his face. But that did not happen. Were you shocked? Uh, no, I mean I've worked out with that before, and I knew that the the holes in his game were a few submission spots. And uh, you know, I always knew that Gracie had uh, you know a small possibility to get the right position, and then catch him in a way that he wasn't wasn't ready for but ed ruth in a couple of years i don't think anybody's gonna be able to beat him he's just uh just learns fast he adapts fast he's a hell of an athlete i think he's gonna be trouble for people in a couple of years was it the case of a little too much too early for him uh no i mean maybe you need to you need to take a loss to you know refocus you know it's a it's a tough sport if you're gonna make the long long way I think early losses are better than than the losses later on. Oh, definitely, definitely. Um, now let's talk about your fight. Uh, your last fight was at Bellator One Ninety Nine. We spoke before that versus Paul Daly. People remember that fight more for Paul Daly talking <laughs> during the fight than your performance because you had an excellent, you had a great performance in that fight. Mm. Does that kind of bother you in any way that people are focusing on him just no, I mean, jabbering it's, uh, during the fight? It's a unique thing. I mean, it's, yeah, it's just funny. Like, it doesn't happen very often. You know, he was, uh, the most frustrating part of it is he's he's the guy slowing down the progression of the fight. He's the one who's, who's not fighting to get up. He's the one who's holding on to gloves. So the fact that he's, 
was complaining about it, I seemed was, I don't know, ironic to me. Yeah, you mentioned he was holding on to your gloves. and yeah. You can see a few pictures where he's he's got firm grips on my gloves and I, I can't get my hands free. And he's not, he's not turning to give his back away or, uh, you know, turning to face me in any way. He's just kind of sitting there. He's, he's clearly waiting for the referee to, to stand us up. Does the referee need to be more attentive to fighters holding onto gloves, you know, onto that aspect since well, it he's does not, limit he's the not, activity he's, on top? He's not hooking into the gloves. He's just preoccupying the hands, uh, which is good for not taking damage, but it stops the progression of the fight. You're not actually trying to get up or get away. You're, you're just stopping the fight. I think they need, um, like what Pride used to do, they used to have yellow cards back in the day. When guys weren't, weren't doing enough action, I think you should, you should start giving our yellow cards out. After a couple of yellow cards, you give a red card, start the guys neutral, but uh, you give up part of your purse. Yeah, I think if you take people's money, they're going to start fighting a little bit harder. Exactly. So, I mean, and it goes both ways. Sometimes the guy on top's locked his hands and he's not, he's not trying to pass. He's not trying to punch or elbow. That gets slow. Sometimes that, that happens. Sometimes it's the guy on bottom closes his guard, holds onto the hands, is, is waiting for the referee to stand him up. Well, I mean, if you want to you wanna, uh, stop the fight in order to gain a position, well, then you're going to get hit with a, a yellow card. Were you satisfied with that win, or did you almost wish that fight was five <clears throat> rounds? Um, you know, that's a good thing. If it was like that, if it was the first round of the tournament, it would have been nicer to have a fifth round because he was starting to, you know, physically break a little bit, and I think he would have kept making mistakes. Uh, and I think talking to my corner in between the third and fourth round would have would have got me away because I was looking for two specific finishes, and it would have taken him to either roll to his stomach or to roll to his back, and he just sat in the middle. When was was fighting uh, hand control, so <clears throat> I think I got stuck on on the on the two vi- on the two uh, two submissions that I had envisioned finishing the fight with. So you know, having the coaches talk to me in between rounds probably could have pulled me out of that that tunnel vision and, and start looking at something else next time I get in that position. You're currently you're on a major resurgence the last couple of years while entering your 40s. What is the secret, man? Do you have a new diet, recovery method, training system? What's going on? What have you changed in that last few years? Um, you know, I think opportunity has helped a lot. <clears throat> you know, just staying consistent and and being ready for the opportunities because I had I had to win the fights, you know, that were in front of me <clears throat> over the past few years. But, you know, I've got a regular, like, lifting program. I think that helps keep me healthy, you know. So I'm, I'm uh, lifting all the time rather than just, you know, right before training camp or in training camp. I'm trying to get more a part of my life to just get the lifts in. You know, I got my, my weight rack is behind me. Um, sticking to my diet instead of fluctuating up and down in weight like I kind of used to. Uh, you know, I didn't get super fat, but I'd still put on an extra 15 pounds of, of fluff, you know. Now I, I keep my diet clean year-round. I've, I've kept it pretty much the same since, like, 2016. Um, I get cheap meals, and, you know, I might take a break a week long here, there, but, like, I'm pretty much always on, on my diet. So that's that's helped a lot is uh, I think those two bases just keep your body ready to go. Uh, time has, man, it has flown by since your last fight, almost a year how have you kept yourself busy? What have you been doing, you know, other than training? Well, I wrote a book. Uh, it's out on Amazon, Failing Upward Death by Ego. <clears throat> it's available, yeah, on Amazon. 
Um, I've been doing uh, live streams every day on my YouTube channel. I have a Patreon where I do technique videos uh, every week. Um, I haven't had time to write any blogs recently, but I've, I've got several up on my website. Um, so I, I try to keep busy with different stuff, different projects. I have a, 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 um, a podcast with uh, Chris Tinkle called Fitch and Tinkle Smash Everything. We're going to hopefully start uh, uploading those episodes soon. We've been having technical difficulties. <laughs> and, uh, well, he, he came out with another uh, comedy album, so he's been working on that. So, and then I've been training for a fight, so everything, everything takes twice as long as we think it is. But it should, it should be out you know, sometime soon. You know, writing a book, all those things that you're involved with outside the cage, <clears throat> does that keep you mentally sharp? I think so. It keeps you from getting bored. You know, uh, because you can't be in the gym banging it out every day. You get a little bit stale doing that stuff. So, you know, I, I switched things up for a little while. I was just doing jujitsu for a couple of months. And then, you know, having these little side projects, stuff to keep you occupied. It's, um, you know, learning process uh, with this stuff. But it's fun. And uh, hopefully I can turn it into actual income later on. Yeah, you know, investing that time now is going to benefit definitely later on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, so I, I'm not putting full effort into a lot of these things. They're just, you know, I've, I've turned my hobbies into things that, uh, you know, I like doing all those things, but they're all things that I can monetize as well. Yeah, I think a lot of young fighters can learn from that, you know, start it now mm -hmm. when you're in your 20s. So yeah. when you are in your late 30s or whenever you feel like that's, you need to step away, you have something that, to go to. Yeah, that's, that's what I wish I would have done when I was in my 20s instead of playing video games all the time. You know, I wasted wasted a lot of time where I could have, you know, take an hour a day and, you know, you could you could read read something, pick pick something up uh, once a year and try to try to learn something about it, you know, uh, whatever it is, editing, writing, um, you know, sales copy, <laughs> anything, anything you can find, just play around with it, see if you can get good at it, see if you like doing it, see if you can do it, uh, you know, as a job. It could be it could be a side gig you make a little extra money from later. Well, let's get into your upcoming fight for the title Bellator 220 main event. You're challenging Rory McDonald. It's part of the Grand Prix, but it's also for the title, which is I love that aspect. You know, some of these mm -hmm. tournaments they have going on, they don't have the champion in them. They don't have you know. I like Bellator what they're doing with this. It's your second straight fight in San Jose. Must feel good yeah. to be fighting in your hometown, especially for the title. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I, I, uh, I gotta say it's it's a pretty big opportunity. You know, I, I got to defend the title in Madison Square Garden. That was pretty cool. But you know, getting the fight and the opportunity to win a world title in, in San Jose, it's pretty great. Going back to the title being you know on the line every fight, does that make this tournament, this Grand Prix, more exciting for the viewers? Do you believe? I think so. I think it makes it mean a little bit more. I think it uh, definitely adds extra um, luster to it. You know, it's not just a, a tournament where there's a title at the end. You know, the title could get passed around several times in the uh, in the tournament itself. So it's pretty cool. And also, if the Grand Prix all of a sudden explodes and it doesn't continue, you still have a champion, right? Yeah, it's true. You said in another interview that Rory is not a world beater in any aspect. He's tough, you know, he's very talented. What do you believe makes him such a special talent since he is the title holder right now? Well, he's, he's, he's 
pretty good at a lot of things. You know, a lot of guys will just be good in one area or a couple areas. He's pretty good in a lot of things, but he's not <clears throat> somebody who would who'd place top ten in any one of those disciplines by itself. You know, he's still he's still uh, very tough with all of them, and he's got a tough mindset. So he's he's going to keep coming forward. Um, he's not the kind of guy who usually like would mentally mentally break or break down or shut down. You know, usually it's his body that gives out. So you know, you've got to be ready for a blood and guts type of fight. It seems like McDonald's nose hasn't been the same since the Lawler fight. When you see a so-called weak spot in a fighter, as you know, as a fighter, do you have an obligation to target that area? I mean, you're trying to hit a guy in the face anyways. <laughs> it's not like you're really like extra aiming for his nose, you know, like it's 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 not that big of a target in the first place to be hitting, so there's a good chance that when you're throwing a punch at the face, you're you're aiming for the nose. But uh, you know, if you can damage somebody, you damage them. Uh, I'm not going to rely on thinking that his nose is a problem. But if in the fight it becomes a problem, then then you uh, pay attention to it. Yeah, because you see a lot of fighters, you know, in the past during the fight. People are like, oh, he has terrible fight IQ. The guy's leg is hurt. Why is he not attacking the leg? You know, mm -hmm. you see that. The commentators are saying that they're screaming it. And uh, that's why I kind of asked you that. You know, is it most likely yeah. it's just during the fight, right? It's not like leading up to the fight you're thinking about that that area. No, because I think it's too it's too uh, too narrow of a, of, a, of a mindset. You know, you've only got so much room in your head for for game plan stuff and you want to keep them kind of broad that way you don't have too many like trigger words in your head yeah you if you have like 15 different things you're trying to think of for a fight you're going to forget most of them but if you can keep it simple to something like three maybe four uh but it's more broad and encompassing then that's the way to go but i think you know hit him in the nose is 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 really focusing on that one little thing and it's it's cutting off a lot of the other things you can think about you pose a lot of threats to Rory, but what is one intangible that you think separates you from him? Um, I think I'm, I got old man strength. <laughs> I think, I think it's setting in. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're lifting weights too, so that doesn't help. Lifted weights too, yeah. <laughs> lifted weights, old man strength, I think, you know. <laughs> mean doesn't age, I guess, either though. Definitely. All of the first round fights so far, they went to the judges or they were stopped in the championship rounds. Do you see this fight going into the, doing the same? It's quite possible. You know, I think, you know, the first three rounds could just be a sprint for both of us before we even get into our strides. <laughs> All right, let's get into the MMA landscape. You know, you you probably watch what's going on in the world of mixed martial arts. You got a promotion out in uh, in Asia, one championship. What are mm -hmm. your thoughts on that promotion and what they're doing for the sport? Um, you know, it's good that there are all these promotions worldwide that are, are bringing up fighters and, and uh, people are getting to watch MMA. I still am concerned with the, just the format of how, you know, the promoters control the titles and the rankings. That uh, It's a direct, direct conflict of interest. It's not the way any other sport's done. And, 
you know, I'm always going to want that to change <laughs> because it's going to bring the best case scenario for the fighters. Um, but, you know, everybody's kind of doing their best, even though the circumstances are the way they are. You know, most promoters didn't create the situation we're in. But if they don't operate by the same uh, methods, you know, they're not going to succeed. But uh, one, you know, it's very interesting. Some of the fights they're putting on are really good. Uh, really surprised with the Eddie Alvarez uh, outcome. But, you know, switching organizations, fighting in a new country can, can definitely impact your performance. They have been promoting this, you know, not weight cutting. They're not weight cutting. The weight classes are different. They do hydration tests. What are your thoughts on their system of trying to rid the game of weight cutting? Um, I don't see how you can. I, I, I'm not as familiar with their, uh, with their system, but it always seems like people are going to try to be as light as they possibly can. And uh, I don't know. It's, it seems like it's always been a advantage to, to weigh lighter than than you just walk around at for the fight <clears throat> or for weigh-ins for the fight. But I, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how, how things go. I wonder if that had anything to do with Alvarez's uh, his performance. Maybe not. Um, yeah. I, I like the way that we've been doing it here in the States with the morning weigh-ins. I think uh, that works pretty well. If they wanted to take into account hydration that week uh, that wouldn't be a big problem I don't think um, but yeah I think mostly with the weight cutting uh, the way the rest of the organizations do it is is depth of fighter knowledge and, and knowing the right way to do it and, and uh, not trying to cheat it like a lot of guys try to take a shortcut through through the work of cutting the weight and uh, they're not doing the diet. They're not doing what they need to do. And then they try to lose all the weight, water weight, you know, in a short period of time. And that's that's just not smart. It's not necessarily the weigh-in process. It's the problem. It's the intelligence of the fighter. To my knowledge, what one championship does is if you are fighting at lightweight, you can weigh at 170 hydrated. And then you do two tests during fight week to test your hydration. If you pass those tests, then you can fight. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. That doesn't seem like you're a lightweight, though. <laughs> <laughs> this is like you're just a welterweight. You're just a welterweight who didn't cut weight. <laughs> <All right. laughs> well, you know, uh, you're telling the truth. So, yeah, you know, so I don't just... disagree. Yeah, you're a non-weight cutting welterweight or something. Put an asterisk by it. Yeah, but I mean, maybe that's he's not used to guys who are actually fighting at welterweight. <laughs> that's yeah, because that's what Demetrius Johnson said. Demetrius Johnson said in the interview that you know he was fighting at 125, but now you know he can be 135 hydrated. So a lot of the guys are much taller, longer, and it kind of gave him some trouble in his fight. Because mm. I never seen him take damage like that in the UFC, but he got pretty beat up in the face before yeah. he submitted his fighter. Yeah, that, uh, that makes sense. I mean, <laughs> it's like a fancy way of saying, no, we're not doing weigh-ins, or I don't know. <laughs> Nowadays, you got a lot of promotions doing TV deals. You got, the, you got ESPN, right, jumping in, mm. trying to you know, take hold. 
they got a deal with UFC and also PFL. I think they signed a deal. Is that a good sign for the sport for having two promotions in at one broadcasting station? Um, I mean, it gets the product out there more, but it doesn't really improve the situation of the fighters. Uh, like the UFC is getting guaranteed money for their pay-per-views as if they were getting uh, 500,000 views per, per pay-per-view, guaranteed. So it spells a problem for a lot of the fighters um, because now your name doesn't matter. Like how many butts you put in the seat, how many tickets you sell, how many pay-per-views you sell, doesn't matter because they're already guaranteed their money. So it's just, it's going to be interesting to see what it does to the fighters who have absolutely zero leverage now because even if they're popular and people like them and watch, watch uh, their fights and like to watch their fights, the UFC is already getting guaranteed money for the pay-per-view, so they don't they don't really need to uh, negotiate at all. Yeah, um, I think it actually helps out the other major promotions to attract them, to attract the main fighters, to attract the best fighters of the world to leave and fight for their promotion. But the with problem more pay, is, right? the problem is though that the UFC makes so much more money than everybody else. Like they set the standard, so even if Bellator or PFL start. Uh, offering more money for people to fight per fight, um, UFC can afford to outbid them. So it's, it's the, they're not paying market value, but they can always outbid the number two. The psychological yeah. advantage that they have of the UFC title being the most coveted title for all fighters. So if you, you want to prove yourself as a, as a fighter, as an, MMA, as an MMA fighter, you have to fight uh, for the UFC in order to attempt to try to capture their title. Do you think that that mind state or mindset is changing a little bit in the MMA community? I don't think so. I mean, you ask any fighter what title he'd, he'd rather fight for, they can take anybody, and you say, hey, you got to give up whatever you have right now, but your next fight is a title shot in the UFC. Do you take it? I don't think you're going to have anybody say no. I'm, I'm happy where I'm at. Well, I think a lot of guys are happy where they're at. You know, you got... You know, like I said, mm -hmm. in one championship, we got A. Alvarez over there, very happy. Demetrius mm -hmm. Johnson is very happy, and they're former champions of the UFC. So, I don't know. I, well, I, I believe I that the world is... I think they're happy not having to deal with... They're, they're probably happy not having to deal with the UFC anymore, but I think they'd be happier in a, in a free market system where they could they could earn their actual, uh, you know, um, net value. What, what are people actually willing to pay for them rather than, you know, second highest bidder? Yeah, and I believe the sponsors, too. Have being able to have sponsors hop on, and mm -hmm. major sponsors, you know, it, it makes a huge difference in your bank account for a lot of these fighters. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, recently, you got the presidential candidate Andrew Yang. He came out and had some strong words for Dana White in the UFC. I wanted to get your thoughts on him and his <laughs> criticism. Um, I think uh, you know he's in the right place. You know, talking about what needs to happen, but it's just uh, he's not educated on the union versus association. Uh, you know, we can't have, you know, you don't, you, maybe it's the NBA has a, a players association. The uh, It's not the LA Lakers basketball union. It's a whole encompassing organization that covers everybody. Uh, it's covered in a sanctioned body, but we don't have sanctioned bodies. We just have the single promotion. So, we can't do a union that would just, you know, lock down their power. Plus, it would be impossible to do with the, the turnover rate 
uh, for the UFC being, you know, less than a year for, for uh, non-main uh, card fighters and two and a quarter years for main card fighters. It's like by the time, you know, you, uh, you're in a position to maybe create the union, you're already out of the lineup. Then with Yang, he's just, he's just trying to gain, garner attention by sending out these tweets? From, from labor, I think, yeah. He's trying to cozy up a little bit with labor, which isn't a bad idea. <laughs> yeah, there's especially lot, there's, a candidate. Yeah, there's a lot of money, and, and you know, even yeah, you know, even Trump is, is cozy with you know labor. Like even Republicans are, are a little bit of accepting of uh, labor unions because of the blue collar vote. That's true. I guess if you get some uh, fighters on your side, you know, they could promote you wherever city you go to, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. One last thing before I let you go, you know, what type of music are you into when, you know, when you're getting ready to punch people in the face, when you're getting ready to spar, you know, go hard in the gym? What do you listen to? Who are the artists that you can rep recommend to your fans? Uh, I, I flip around, you know, depending on what mood I'm in. So uh, I'll go from, from uh, you know, um, outlaw old school country, like Johnny Cash and Willie Nelson, Merle Haggard, to... Uh, um, uh, you know, like beach music and uh, reggae. You know, I jump around. I'll play some Post Malone sometimes, or uh, <laughs> his name Russ. Russ, I listen to him sometimes. You know, '90s R&B, Tom Petty. Like, I'm all over the place. Just kind of depends on what my mood is that day. All right, sounds good. Well, April 27th, you get your shot. Bellator 220 main event. Hometown, San Jose, California. Thank you for your time, John, and uh, good luck to you, sir. All right, man. Good talking to you.